You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. I am thrilled to be with you tonight, and um, I know that um, God is going to use our time together, and I'm excited to teach the Word of God to you. We're going to be in Acts chapter 15 tonight in this wonderful series that Pastor has been taking us through, and the title of my message is Growing Pains. The reason I titled it that is because, first of all, the amazing growth of the church in Acts is one of the most exciting things to observe and to study. The second thing is that as they grew, and as we get to Acts 15, it's happened more than once, there's a controversy that arose out of their growth. And so we'll jump right into the text, beginning in Acts chapter 15 in verse 1. It says, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch, And we're teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. This prolific growth of the early church is exciting, but like anything that grows, change is occurring. And when things grow and change happens, it becomes challenging to us. The gospel, you see, was like a a train moving at high speed in the first century. And concern arose among some Jews, as we're going to see later in the text, about the way that salvation was being presented to the Gentiles and what was either being included in that or not being. And as you've seen, the subject here was circumcision. Now, going back to Acts chapter 1 and the foundation that Jesus laid for the spread of the gospel is very important to understanding uh, where we're headed tonight in this text. In Acts 1, you'll know that Jesus is the one who said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. And then he names four different geographic locations. He says in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I mean, you think about that. Starting in Jerusalem, working its way out. And the way I look at it here in in America is the gospel made it all the way to me. The gospel made it all the way to you. And it started in Jerusalem, and we are now the privileged recipients these 2,000 years later of the grace of God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But think about it this way. Acts chapter 1, when Jesus made that statement, it was just before his ascension. He is one. Added to him were 12. Add to that 120 in the upper room, Acts chapter 1. Add to that in chapter 2 when Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost, we now have 3,120. You go into the early chapters of Acts and you see them make statements there about, and 4,000 came to faith in Jesus Christ. And 5,000 came to faith in Messiah Jesus. And then eventually in the early chapters of Acts, what it actually says, it just started saying, and a multitude. It shows you just how quickly and powerfully the church was moving. B.H. Carroll, a commentator, says he estimates that there were probably 100,000 members in the Jerusalem church within 25 years. G. Campbell Morgan estimates a minimum of 60,000. See, Jerusalem was a city of approximately 
200,000 people in the first century. Imagine that. Possibly 100,000 of them had come to faith in Jesus Christ. It is no wonder in the early, book, in the early chapters of Acts that they, the apostles were accused when they said, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And indeed they did. That was like the greatest compliment they could give them. A growing, changing, challenging church is an awesome thing. Years ago when I was a young minister, I, um, I stepped out with my wife to go plant a church. I'd grown up in Los Angeles. My family moved back east when I was in high school. I accepted Christ in high school, and then I moved to Missouri to go to Bible college. After Bible college, I went into the ministry and became a youth pastor in Illinois. And for five years, we did that. And the whole time, I had this longing to start a church. And so we moved back to San Diego, and we landed in Vista. We didn't know anybody, and we planted a baby church. And within about 18 months, we had a couple hundred people, and we were leading most of the, the young families, they were our age, to Christ ourselves. So they're very, very new in their faith. And within 18 months, we had eight different nationalities in that young baby church. Think about that. We had Japanese. We had Indian. We had Indi people from India and American Indian. We had Hispanic, we had black, we had white, we had Filipino. And it was quite amazing as we led these folks to Christ and we begin to share with them the teachings of Jesus, particularly the Great Commission. When you started talking about mission or going around the world, they were like, well, absolutely, that's, we're from here and we're from there. And so teaching it was very easy. And I remember early on thinking, now, how am I going to raise dollars for missions? And uh, in my young and maybe unlearned and raw way, I thought, well, I'll just ask for volunteers. So the very first missionary I brought into the church, his name was Bill Bramlett, and he was going to Australia. And after he presented his field, I just stood up in church one night and I said, um, I need 10 people who would give $10 a month to raise their hands right now, and, and we'll be able to support Bill Bramlett and his family at $100 a month going to Australia. Do, do I have 10? It's like an auction, you know? And one, two, three, I counted 10. And I go, okay, good, we got it. If there were 12, I'd go, you two wait, because next month we'll do it again. And within 18 months, we had 16 missionaries supported that way. When I told this story to a young pastor in Los Angeles, a young Hispanic boy who was saved off the streets of L.A. as a gang member. In fact, the juvenile courts sentenced him to go to the Dream Center for his rehabilitation, and there he accepted Christ and later became a pastor. And he planted a church. And I was telling the story of raising mission dollars by asking for volunteers to raise their hand. He had this big smile on his face, and as I, and as I said, as I counted 10 and got 100, he started snapping his finger, and he's going, Pastor, that is so ghetto. <laughs> and it made me laugh so hard because he was going like, what a way to do it, man. Just ask the people to give. And they did. And all those people came together. What I'm trying to say to you, because of the church in Acts and its early growth, we move on mission today like they did. We are keen to our surroundings like they were. We are rescuers and we are reconcilers of broken people. We are helpers. We are lovers of men and women's souls. We live to give. And we see the supernatural come from heaven to earth when we follow in obedience our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, the family of God is the greatest force for good the world has ever known. We are the strongest, most organized volunteer movement in the history of the world. The church of the living God headed by Jesus himself. 
as Christ's followers began to move into the known world, they, they moved into Gentile populations outside of Jerusalem. And they continued reaching out to all the people they would meet. And this is where the tension began to grow. You see, they were building bridges to people's hearts on which the gospel could travel. They moved within the government. They moved within culture. They moved within society. And they adapted in order to be able to share the gospel. Just like our changing times right now. Societal norms, politics, technology, media, all affect the way that we communicate today the gospel. Now in 2020, add natural disasters like fires, add a pandemic worldwide, and hello 2020. I mean, who knew? Is it safe to say we have been moved out of our comfort zone this year? You better believe we have. We have taken a detour in life with all that is going on in the world. There's so many complexities and factors to weigh. Our society, our churches are being moved and trying to pay attention and trying to navigate with wisdom. Take heart, my friend. The gospel will not cease. The gospel will increase because God is faithful to his word and he is faithful to those who will advance the work of the gospel for kingdom's sake. Jesus said that you and I are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I want to encourage you today. Keep being the salt and the light wherever God has planted you now. And that we should be, Jesus said, wise as serpents and harmless as doves as we go about our schools and neighborhoods and places of work and even in our circles, our our small groups or wherever we meet and talk about the Lord. Jesus said we are to be those people no matter what the circumstance is around us. Pastor Greg Crochelle says it this way, if you want to reach people you're not currently reaching, You're going to have to do things you're not currently doing. And we have been forced to do that in this age. Online church, think about it. If you had told us at the beginning of 2020 that the church would not even be able to meet by the tens of thousands of churches, for six months there would be no assemblies But the gospel, in spite of that, would spread greater than it has ever spread before. We would have said, no way. What are you talking about? If we had known then what we know now, we would have gone into great panic over the health or the life or even the existence of our church. And here we are these many months later, and the church and the gospel is thriving around the world in spite of these circumstances. We are living through a challenging change that has created unique blessings and opportunities opportunities within it if you have eyes to see it. I ask you this question. How willing are we to reach others with the gospel? Do we let change, do we let detours discourage us or disrupt us? Or do we think, let's innovate, let's adapt, let's change with the times. Let's realize that the methods that we have to use may be different. The principle of the gospel has always been the same and is just as simple as it has ever been. Pastor David has so wonderfully taken you through this inspiring journey through the book of Acts. I've I've been listening online and watching from Melbourne myself. I have so enjoyed following with you this great teaching and the wonderful opportunity, this, I call it a superb education that pulls us toward application. You know, for most of us, we don't need more information about the Bible. 
We need more transformation because of the Bible in our own lives, in our own families, in our own neighborhoods. Secondly, I would ask you this question. What are some things that can stop the gospel from going forward? Because you see, if you don't have an advanced mentality or an offense mentality, you'll go into defense or isolation or poor me or what will we do now? And here's what happens to people. The fear of rejection. What is that? Well, what if it, what if it embarrasses me when I speak up about the gospel? Fear of uh, taking initiative. What if it disrupts me or upsets me to try to figure out a way to share the, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Sometimes even fear of persecution. And the world seems like a very volatile place right now. What if it actually would harm me? You see, the key word in all those fears is this, the word me. But the gospel isn't about me. There's only one thing that overcomes the me, and that's Christ in me. The supernatural power of the Holy Spirit that guides us and gives us boldness and courage and love and compassion for our fellow man to share the good news. You know, it was the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 that said, I am debtor both to Jew and Greeks. I am bound by the gift of my own salvation to share it with all I come in contact with. Christ in me is the great equalizer. The Apostle John said, I must decrease he must increase. That's an internal statement. There must be less of me in here so there's more room for Jesus in here to give me the strength I need to go forward in life. If you have any apprehension at all, I want to help you this evening. I, I call this sharing your faith training in challenging times. Three easy steps, almost like a commercial. Please write this down, though. I can train you to share the, the faith and the gospel in 30 seconds. Are you ready? Number one, tell them what it was like before you met Jesus. Number two, tell them what happened when you met Jesus. And number three, tell them how you are different since you met Jesus. There you have it. Gospel training in 20 seconds. I don't mean to be frivolous about it, but, but, but please hear what I'm saying. You don't have to rehearse what I just said. You don't have to memorize anything to, to basically share with people what it was like before, what happened when, and why you are different now because of Jesus. Friend, we are equipped to do this very thing by virtue of our own salvation story, which is so real to each of us. There is someone in your life today who needs to hear the story you have. You are the bridge to their heart on which the gospel will travel to see them come to faith in Jesus Christ. This is what was happening in the first century as they moved out of Jerusalem through Judea, Samaria, and into the known world. The growing pains of Acts 15 was not pressure from the outside of their movement. It was a pressure that was being caused from the inside. Controversy and debate over a theological issue that needed worked out. Let's go down through it a little bit. Let me just walk you through some of the text here. As we read in verses one and two, this tension arose because of a sharp dispute over some wanting to add circumcision to the salvation experience and attempting to add unnecessary parts of the law of God to salvation. This is a great moment in the life of the early church because this could have been a huge obstacle. 
and it had to be addressed. By verse three, they have decided that through this sharp dispute, they must send Paul and Barnabas back to the home base in Jerusalem to talk to the apostles and the elders about this issue because it was becoming such a big issue. By the time we get down to verses four and five, some of the believers who were Pharisees, that's, that's careful reading there, believers who were Pharisees said, Gentiles have to be circumcised. You see, their idea of of, uh, beginning a walk in faith, I I would even call it the beginning of discipleship, in order for that to continue, must have alongside or with it every letter of the law. I want you to know something about the law of God. The law is good, but grace is better. I mean, none of us would want to do away with the Ten Commandments, would we? That's good law. And so we can't piecemeal it, but we understand that salvation is, is apart from anything about the law. And so these were trying to mix or add on because of their tradition. And so this is what erupted into a dispute, taking the gospel to the Gentiles. In verses six through eight, it says, after much dispute, which is a nice way of saying a knockdown drag out Hebrew argument or debate, I don't know if you have any Jewish friends, but because I travel so much in Israel, I've met many Jewish friends, and when they debate, when they ask questions, my goodness, us Westerners, we're like, oh my gosh, are they gonna hurt each other? I mean, they're getting so loud and so boisterous, and they're trying to make their point, and and they really go at it. It's almost intimidating, almost frightening, because you think they really don't like each other, and they'll tell you, that has nothing to do with it. We're trying to come to the truth. We're having the debate. We're working it out. My my Jewish friends will say to me in jest, they'll say, if you have two Jews, you have three opinions. And so they say, how are you ever gonna get to the truth if you're not willing to ask the hardest questions about what you're trying to convince people of or persuade people to understand? And so my Jewish friends will say, if you're not willing to have that conversation, well, then you're ignoring the truth. And that's, that's, a crime spiritually, you've got to address it. So Peter then refers back to Acts chapter 10 in in his discussion in Jerusalem about this. And and, and he's basically, do you remember when Pastor David taught in Acts chapter 10, I love the title of that message, when he said, change is in the air. It was this change. It was these things. It was the gospel going out to people like you and I, most of which who are listening to this lesson are Gentile people. Peter says, you all know that God sent me out to the Gentiles. God was faithful when he did, and as I begin to share the gospel, they started receiving Jesus as Messiah, and it was accompanied by the Holy Spirit. The evidence was obvious. In Acts 15, 9, he continues when he says this, he, God, did not discriminate between us and them. For he, God, purified their hearts by faith. He goes on, verse 11. We cannot complicate the gospel, he made the argument. We must must simplify the gospel. The simple gospel will do the heavy lifting on its own. It doesn't need anything added to it. We, as believers, are building bridges with our lives to the hearts of people so the gospel can cross over onto their heart and save them. Peter makes this case forcefully. 
And then by the time you get down to verse 12, it says, the whole assembly became silent. And then Paul and Barnabas stood after Peter and they began adding, sharing testimonies of the changed lives of people that they were meeting in the Gentile world and sharing the gospel. And so after this meeting, is, it's kind of in the thick of it now, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, James, the, the half-brother of Jesus, he steps up in verse 13. The leader of the church settles the matter that would lead to the needed breakthrough they needed so the gospel could continue to flourish in this very uncomfortable scene or situation and this tension point. This was a huge moment in church history. It is known as the Jerusalem Council. Listen to James, the leader of the church, words now. In conclusion, if you will, over the matter. It says in verse 13, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from among the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. As it is written, after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. That's a reference to the tabernacle and then the temple. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. A reference to the Gentiles, even all Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, he says, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And at the conclusion of this, they send a delegation back to Antioch where this controversy began with the official letter from the apostles acknowledging the controversy and setting them free to continue to share the gospel without impediment. Acts 15, 31. When it got there, it says the people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Conflict resolved. Change Challenge overcome, trust restored, and the gospel continues to advance. If you're taking notes, when God's people dwell in unity and harmony, the pathway to the gospel is made clear. I have something that I ran across about 30 years ago that I live by in my life as a reminder of what God is doing in my life when things are changing, when I moved out of my comfort zone, when I've found a detour in life, when I come to a difficult thing in my faith, whatever it is, this may bless you. I think it kind of capsulizes this Acts 15 situation. It goes something like this. Healthy things grow. Growing things change. Changing things challenge us. Challenging things cause us to trust. Trust leads to obedience, and obedience makes us healthy because healthy things grow, and growing things change, and changing things challenge us, and challenging things cause us to trust, and trust leads to obedience, and obedience makes us healthy. And that is a rhythm. That is a cycle in our lives. It's constantly around us and before us, and it helps us to resolve the dilemmas and the difficulties of life. See, when this cycle plays out, you know what the first byproduct of it is? Deeper relationships with other people. Greater love and intimacy with our family, with our neighbors, with our schoolmates, 
with our employees or where we work, our associates. Friend, the devil be after you today. And if he can isolate you, then he can eliminate you from intimacy with other people. He can break down relationships in your home, with your marriage, your children, and oh, we're living in a time even though we're kind of um, sequestered to our homes even more, there might be something happening in your home life like we're living in different spaces and different worlds because of media and being able to do our own thing, whatever it is. And if that breaks down relationship, it ruins the process of healthy things growing. Take that to heart today and please write this down. I love this phrase. See if you can relate now with what we're talking about. I like to obey. I like to obey. I say it this way to people over the years, read God's word, do what it says. I like to obey God's word. I wanna be an obedient follower of Jesus Christ. You see, when it comes to the gospel, remember this, and this was true in the first century, you will never take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the wrong address. No matter where you go, if you speak a word for the Savior and the saving grace that he offers, you will always be in the will of God. You will always be in the right place doing the right thing at that time. And our world, through this distraction, this detour, these removal from our comfort zones and pandemics and natural disasters and politics going crazy, in the midst of all that, don't you realize that people who don't have hope need hope? And don't you know that Jesus is the answer to the world's dilemma today? Sharing the good news has never been more powerful or more needed. What does this problem that we discover here or we see in the flow of Acts, what does it teach us? It teaches us about the family of God that acceptance is the hallmark of the gospel. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We know that unity comes through diversity. Jews and Gentiles were quite different. God was bringing them together, just like he brought that little church together with eight nationalities, eight cultures, and eight languages to find unity and find it quickly. And you know how that happens? You put people in one space, in one place, and I don't care if they're red, yellow, black, or white. I don't care what their background, religion, history, culture, nation is. You put them all together and you, put them, and you point them all to Jesus and diversity turns into unity. Jesus is the healing balm. Jesus is the one that brings mankind together. Put them all in one place and you'll see people fall in love with their savior and then with each other because it's something you cannot legislate. It's something you cannot force. It is the natural byproduct of making Jesus the focus. His love breaks down all barriers. The Bible is the answer for, this, for solving all of man's ill will and ill problems that we're having, whether it's racism, prejudice, or ignorance, the Bible breaks down the walls of injustice and it illuminates, it saves, it inspires, it equips, and it empowers. I wonder today, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you in this season about your next step in life? What is it that he's resolving perhaps in your spirit right now? Maybe he's bringing a peace and calm and he's reconciling, taking things that are broken and putting them back together in you. I pray that you take action on that today. God's word is good and faithful. I'd love to pray for you. It's, it's an honor to be with you today. Father God, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the teaching that comes from this chapter and all of the book of Acts. Thank you for a great church like Sun Grove that paves the way for people to grow spiritually.
to come to faith in Jesus. And may we, will you use all of us in Elk Grove and around the surrounding areas and through this medium we call online to reach the, the masses, the people across state lines and even countries. Father, help us to see the great picture of the kingdom of God growing and growing and growing because it's your plan and we get to be part of it. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.